Who's that guy? You know who I am. Yeah, I know who I am. One for the players at the crib, dank and drinks, and two is for the sound hootie hoo that I make. Nice rap. Where did hoodies come from? I saw Val Kilmer once. He was walking outside of a dumpling shop in a trench coat. Don't use ketchup on your hot dog. Do the number one meal with a large root beer. I'm an emotional creature. Don't open that door! <laughs> I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. The Nate Show podcast is presented by Safe Clicker Media Group. Please follow the show at The Nate Show on Facebook and at That's Nate Cox on Instagram. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. I appreciate that. It's time. So I hope that everyone has had a wonderful and delightful Valentine's Day, and I also hope uh, that you know, everyone can kind of look past some things going on with my voice here. I did drink some green tea, uh, some hot green tea before I started recording. But the problem with that is, is that it's late and I got to work early tomorrow morning. So, but we'll see how that goes. You know, it is what it is. But again, hope everyone had a wonderful Valentine's Day. Uh, we're coming at this. I don't want this to be a super long episode, uh, but I do want it to be slightly uh, informative, both to a topic that I'm going to talk about briefly and also uh, a peek behind the curtain of why I feel a certain way about a certain TV show, even though I'm using two different articles that I obviously didn't write um, as sort of the basis for my thoughts, not really the basis for my thoughts and opinions. These are opinions I've always had, but using these to sort of aggregate and sort of discuss, I feel like these, articles did a better job of explaining it, you know, than I'm obviously going to end up doing. Uh, but I wanted to do that. Again, make sure you check out the Nate Show 423.com going forward. There's stuff on the way. I, you know, um this will probably be the last, not the last, but this will be well, yeah, it will be. This will be like the last podcast episode that's just audio only from now on. Um once I get my background set up and everything. Um We'll be doing videos, be putting those on Instagram. I don't know if I'll be putting them on Facebook, but we put them different places and, you know, doing different things. But yeah, again, stay, uh, stay, uh, posted on, you know, the Nate show 423.com. There'll be all kinds of, uh, cool stuff there. But I wanted to take a few minutes away from scrolling through Tinder all day, uh, for Valentine's weekend to, you know, bring you some content. I did promise the first and 15th of every month. And so here we are. It's the 15th as uh, we're publishing this one. So at coming out of a holiday in which, you know, I was reminded of where my place belongs in the friend zone. I started wondering uh, the origins of friend zone. You know, if you've listened to the show before, that's something that I like exploring is not exploring the friend zone, but exploring uh, the origins of certain words. There's a episode called where do hoodies come from? we Whitney and I talked about the origins of the phrase hootie who. Uh, so there are a few different things. Uh, and you know, last time I was very cynical and, and ranting about Ariana Grande's music and, you know, not really sure who it was for. Um, that was sort of the irony is I'm not sure, you know, who her music is for. And I'm not sure who my podcast is for, but you know, Hey, it is what it is. So, I'm going to be doing some reading, like I said. So again, you know, strap yourself in. It's going to uh, be a bumpy ride here. So the friend zone, uh, and this is just taken straight from Wikipedia, so you know it's true. Uh, but the friend zone in popular culture, friend zone or 
Well, anyway, it's a term used for the situation in which one person in a mutual friendship wishes to enter a romantic or sexual relationship with the other person, while the other does not. Uh, the person whose romantic advances were rejected is then said to have, quote-unquote, entered or to have been put in the friend zone with the sense that they are stuck there. Um, the concept of the friend zone has been criticized as misogynistic because of belief that the concept implies an expectation an expectation, excuse me, that women should have sex with men and whom they have no interest simply because the men were nice to them. This is closely associated with the so-called, quote, nice guy syndrome, end quote. And this is sort of where the two worlds collide here uh, as I'm reading this. Uh, as originally portrayed in the episode, the one with the blackout of the American sitcom television series Friends, when two people meet, there's a short period in which there is potential for a romantic relationship after this time if they continue to see each other they are in the quote friend zone end quote and so a romantic relationship is effectively impossible even if one of the parties wishes for it to be possible um so you're pointing out the origins of it also with a reference back to um, an early episode of friends and as this was mentioned and i'll sort of read on and skip ahead here criticism of the term feminist writers have argued that the friend zone concept is misogynistic and rooted in male narcissism um and i can see that um so but going back to the pop culture relevance of it the term was popularized uh, in that episode of friends uh where the character ross who was lovesick for rachel was described by character joey as being the quote mayor of the friend zone end quote. Now my earliest association with uh, this uh, term, this, this terminology was what it goes on to say here in the article, which is the 2005 romantic comedy film, just friends main plot devices that the protagonist, Chris Brander played by Ryan Reynolds is friend zoned by his best friend and secret love interest since high school, Jamie Palomino, who's played by Amy smart. And so that was sort of my introduction to it. And for better or for worse, a lot of the opinions that I had coming up as a teenager and into adulthood about uh, dating and these quote-unquote rules about dating and the friend zone and everything, those were informed uh, by that movie. So I wanted to just sort of give, and obviously it's something that anyone can look up, but the origins of the friend zone. And I want to make clear that I don't, uh, see anything wrong with the friend zone. I just think sometimes people are uh, better off as friends as than they are in a relationship, and it it, it takes um, it takes some real honesty to understand that because a lot of times you can be thinking uh, you can be thinking in ways that aren't necessarily about love, even though your mind and your heart tricks you into thinking that it's about love. But this is a whole other uh, thing that I don't really want to get into um, at the moment. But yeah, there's, I just want to point out to anyone listening, there's nothing wrong with the friend zone as long as you know, um, as long as I th feel like as long as you're sure of yourself and who you are and what you want and are able to communicate properly with a significant other or that friend or, or whatever the case may be, then I think that's what's most important. Uh, but I wanted to uh, really transition uh, that into, you know, it was mentioned uh, that this term and this sort of mindset was popularized by the TV show Friends. So there's irony that it's a show called Friends. It's about the friend zone. And so I remember as a child, you know, Friends being on the television in the mid-90s, late 90s, early 2000s. 
Uh, it was a show that my mother was very much into and, and watched, you know, on a weekly basis. And I, I knew, you know, I have several friends now that are fans of the show, watch the show, you know, binge watch it, that whole thing and enjoy it. It's personally uh, not my cup of tea, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but, you know, if you're asking me what shows I'm into, as far as shows that are related and sort of being sitcoms, I would, you know, typically opt for Seinfeld. That was sort of the thing is like you were either a Seinfeld fan or a Friends fan. Uh, so, you know, I would choose Seinfeld or like Community, uh, Fresh Prince. Uh, I mean, The Office. I mean, these are Parks and Rec. These are shows that as far as sitcoms go uh, that I prefer to Friends. Um, I've watched, I've sat down and I've, I've tried to watch Friends, both with uh, friends of mine and just alone, just so I can get sort of the point of view of what it's like to watch it with someone and to watch it um, on my own. And I've got an article here from the Tempest.com. Uh, this is uh, dated September 27th, 2016. Um, and this was article was written by Corinne Osnos. Hope I'm getting that uh, uh, name right. But um, the title of the article is Six Reasons Why Friends is Actually the Worst Show Ever. <laughs> and I want to point out, too, that it's become sort of in vogue recently to talk about how Friends isn't funny. This is a joke that I've had going with, you know, close friends of mine for years now where I've just said, you know, even when I was doing stand-up a couple years ago, um, I said my favorite episode of Friends is the one where the show is actually funny. And, you know, I'm not... I don't. I hate to do like the whole Norm Macdonald joke and explain the joke as if you didn't get it. I know you got it if you're listening, but to me it was funny. One because I had a friend in the audience who was a big fan of the show, and two because that's you know what all of the episodes—the one with this, the one with that—we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, so the first reason that Corinne gives, and again we'll be doing a lot of reading in this short episode. Uh, first of six reasons, it's not funny. Disparaging everyone's favorite 90s sitcom is a risky move, I know, but seriously, this blank is so not funny. Do a little editing for the, the children listening today. The sitcom-style laughter that was included practically every other line only, only amplifies this truth. Not once did I laugh with the, quote, audience, end quote. So I, I will say that that's been my biggest issue with the show is the canned laughter really takes me out of the experience where it I understand that humor is subjective but when it's something as simple as someone saying and maybe I'm oversimplifying here but when it's something as simple as somebody saying oh hey Ross how are you and there's like a roar of laughter I'm like okay that's why why was that I know and I'm not even a good comedian, but I know how hard it is to get a good laugh. And I feel like Friends does this in very cheap uh, manners by, you know, it being fake. Uh, but we'll move on. Number two, the characters are pure stereotypes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Joey plays the role of Italian-American misogynist. Uh, Phoebe's a dumb blonde. Her character is over-sexualized and underutilized as she's actually one of the better actors. That's a good point, too. Rachel's, quote, daddy's little girl... Uh, but she's really just a spoiled, beautiful B-word. Uh, pair her with Ross, the annoying nerd. You've got perhaps the whiniest couple of all time. Monica transformed from an overweight teen to a bombshell. All the boys want, but is uncomfortable with her newfound status. 
Chandler is bitter. He's not particularly X, be it smart, good looking, insert any adjective here. So he makes up for it by acting like an immature prick. I'm not editing that word. Um, these characters are all supposed to be adults, yet the show feels like a high school nightmare. Um, we'll move on. Number three, quote, the one where the title tells you everything that's going to happen, end quote. Every title begins with the one where, which is about as simplistic as the plot lines of the show. I don't really need to watch if the title tells me exactly what's going to happen. Uh, that's I can actually see the flip side of that, though, where if you're a fan of the show, uh, and especially if you're on uh, Peacock or wherever you watch Friends now, where you can, even if you had like the DVDs, you can sort of pick and choose and go, okay, well, that actually makes a good conversation piece as far as other friends or other fans of the show where you can say, Hey, do you remember the one? Cause that's the way usually people will communicate. It's actually, I thought it was, I've always thought that was a smart move on the show's part, you know, to uh, use that as a device to have people talk about the show, because I know that my Seinfeld fans and I, we do that. Hey, remember the one with the soup Nazi? Hey, remember? So it's like you, you have certain things that you communicate I always thought that was a good job, but I can actually see her point as well where she's saying, look, like I, there's no need for me to watch if you're already telling me what's going to happen. It's um, yeah. So number four, sexy and smart are polar opposites. Ross, the only one of the crew with a PhD is seeming and, and seemingly a brain is portrayed as having zero social skills or game. This is why girls always go for the bad boys. Pop culture used to make the good ones so damn unappealing. Thankfully, Shows like Shameless and Mr. Robot are turning this stereotype on its head with characters like Lip and Elliot who are whip smart and good in bed. This really, just, this uh, selection here was more Corinne just sort of giving you her personal preferences, which again, I'm not criticizing because that's what I'm doing here. Um, But yeah, that is actually a fair point about Ross where he's actually like the smart one of the bunch and yet he's not really portrayed that way, uh, at least not on like a particularly deep level. It's very shallow, uh, if so. And... You know, numbers five and six here are the two reasons that these are probably the most damning examples of the show now. If you try to pick up and watch, and if you've never seen Friends before, these two things are going to be hard to get past for a lot of people. Uh, number five, there's a lack of diversity. Friends is pretty much a show about a group of six white people who only hang out with other white people. And she puts here, too, because New York City isn't known for its diversity or anything. Um and that sort of goes back to, uh, and we'll get to this in a minute too. Living Single was a show that came out and was popular, not popular enough because it got canceled, but popular around the same time as Friends. And it was really the same premise. Uh, it came out before, but used six African Americans instead of, you know, white people. And, you know, that show got canceled and the one with the white people kept going and became one of the biggest shows of all time. So, you do with that whatever you want to do. So, number six, there's absolutely no sensitivity. Uh, the friends don't exactly embody hashtag squad goals. They basically pick on one another nonstop, and it sets a bad example. The show is also a reminder that a lot has changed since the 90s. Gay and fat jokes are no longer cool. They're cruel. The trivialization of incest and suicide is also crass. Um... It's worth noting that this article was written by a white female. Uh, so if you have an issue with that, there is no diversity um, thing, then, you know, this article was written 
you know, by that same group that is usually a really big fan of the show. So my thing is, um, you know, I always feel like don't present a problem unless you're also going to present a solution. And, uh, if you're someone that's like, well, I'm looking for a show to watch and people seem to love friends. Well, what are some examples of shows that, um, I could watch that are maybe similar to friends that are sitcoms, but you know, maybe have a different sense of humor or maybe you're just, you know, objectively funnier than friends is. So lucky for you, filmdaily.com has an article. I was looking to see, Oh, this was written February 3rd, 2020 by Amy Roberts. Uh, so shout out to the people providing the content for my show this week. Um, so friends went off the air 2004 in uh, you know in May and drew 52.5 million viewers but this basically this article basically starts by saying you know we're kind of glad that it's gone it's anyway I don't even want to address this something that's in here but anyway check out this article for yourself if you want I'll go ahead and read through them uh, this is her 10 shows that are you know funnier than friends or are better to watch than friends uh, one is will or excuse me number 10 is will and grace uh, sharing the same big city, white privilege perspective of friends, but without any of the show's rampant homophobia, Will and Grace isn't perfect, but at least it has the tenacity to poke fun at its own foibles. Uh, and Jack and Karen, the show is able to poke fun at its own stereotypes of upper-class lifestyles and queer stereotypes. Friends was always too po-faced to do the same. I'm not really sure what po-faced means, but maybe we'll look that up as an origin story next episode. Number nine, a personal favorite, Community. Proving that shows about friendship and opposing personalities just trying to get along can extend well beyond living quarters. Living quarters, excuse me. Community offers a shrewd twist on the basic sitcom, starring Donald Glover, Gillian Jacobs, Allison Brie, and Joel McHale. Dan Harmon's often meta comedy is full of surprises and moments of startling warmth that that don't feel overly saccharine. And that's one of the things that I love about Community is that it's not afraid to take chances and it's not afraid to have heart every now and then. Um... Number eight, obviously another personal favorite, Seinfeld, the true reigning champ of 90s New York City sitcoms, has always and will always be Seinfeld. Ostensibly a show about nothing, it still has a great deal more to say via the neurotic antics of characters played by Jerry Seinfeld, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Michael Richards, and Jason Alexander than Friends ever did. Uh, And Speak of the Devil, number seven, Living Single. Vastly underrated by comparison to Friends, Living Single dared to explore a similar narrative that didn't just revolve around white people starring queen latifah kim coles and erica alexander the show is a sitcom staple that serves up just as many jokes as friends does but without any of the smugness um i'll try to get through this uh quickly because again this is all stuff you could read for yourself it's kind of dumb that i'm reading it to you but you know i told you i'd have an episode for you and here it is so number six unbreakable kimmy schmidt excuse me tina fey's netflix original series is full of sly references to friends including a guest appearance from lisa kudrow and a reference to the show being known as six white complainers which makes sense considering the show apes a lot of the uh, sitcoms tropes while kimmy almost envisions her life to be as picture perfect as that of the friends gang is actually the polar opposite including the cramped rundown apartment she shares with titus while struggling for money in new york uh, number five, I know that I really I have several friends that this would probably be a personal favorite of theirs. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Offering an anarchic respite 
let me try that again offering an anarchic respite <laughs> respite excuse me to wholesome friendship sitcoms where each character isn't a blatant psychopath or moron it's always sunny in philadelphia is like the dark underside of friends the one where danny devito charlie day rob McElhaney, glenn howerton and caitlin olsen are simply stuck with each other and probably not through choice uh, number four, Parks and Rec. Excuse me, Parks and Recreation. Make sure I get that right. Uh, from the outside, Greg Daniels and Michael Schur's work-based comedy might not seem like it has much in common with Friends, but in the sitcom's exploration of how a group of people with very little in common find common ground, Parks and Recreation offers a sweet and very funny look at the nature of friendships. Number three, this is actually a show that I really enjoyed, even though it only lasted, I think, one season. Uh, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, this short-lived sitcom could almost be considered a parody of Friends' wholesome and privileged version of New York. Friends has a gang of half-wits with low salaries and impossibly large apartments that included characters like an ugly naked guy and a failed actor. Don't Trust to Be in Apartment 23 features an impossibly large New York City apartment paid for by the immoral hustling of Chloe, a perpetually masturbating pervert, and a legit actor for his vanquished glory days. Also, it's impossibly funny, something that Friends never is. And again, I kind of gave up on the editing for this episode so kids if you're listening just ignore everything i just said uh number two broad city through the friendship group of the comedy central sitcom excuse me though the friendship group of the comedy central sitcom might be as big as that of friends it's far more realistic hilarious and heartfelt the fellow new york-based comedy stars lana glazer hope i got that right and abby jacobson is two Franz Tillyond, who get high, go on big city adventures and muse about the mysteries of womanhood and life. And number one um, uh, thing you can watch a set of friends is happy endings. It breaks our heart to this day to think about how much more hilarity was still left in David Caspi's show before it was rudely canceled long before its time. Following a diverse friendship group with wonderfully differing personalities, the show seems like an obvious successor to friends while also improving upon the basic concept of the show. Um, I would also throw New Girl and obviously The Office in there. Shows that if you want to, I think New Girl is one of the best shows ever made. Uh, and you could even throw Arrested Development in there as well, even though it's a little bit more irreverent and different uh, than those other shows. But um, I know this was a lot of reading this episode. There wasn't really a lot uh, to, as far as you know, my opinions and everything. I'll be honest with you. Last couple of days, I've mostly spent just in bed. Uh, dealing with some stuff going on with my voice and my throat and everything. And I, I, I feel pretty good. I feel okay. I feel energetic. Just, uh, yeah. And just as far as mentally though, I was like, I don't really know. And I've been kind of sitting on this friend stuff for a while. So let's just go ahead and get it over with people that know me. know I'm not a fan of the show. Uh, but again, if it's what you enjoy, it's what you enjoy. I'm not criticizing you for enjoying it. I personally don't find it to be a good show or a funny show, but again, all that's uh, subjective. That's my own personal opinion. You don't have to feel that way. It's an eight show, so it's my opinion. Uh, but, you know, I hope that if you're still uh, tuned in, that you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, we'll have uh, some fun guests, some fun, exciting conversations coming up uh, starting in March. And uh, not only will you get to hear those conversations, like I said, you'll get to see those. So stay tuned uh, to my social media pages. The big one's going to be Instagram at that Snake Cox and uh, the Nate Show 423.com. Those are going to be like the two places where you're going to get news, you know, first and before anyone else uh, does. They'll hit other platforms too, but those are going to be the two 
uh, main ways to stay informed and all the cool stuff going on. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of The Nate Show Podcast. Make sure that you head over to thenateshow423.com, where you can follow this podcast and everything else that's going on with The Nate Show. I hope to have you back next time, but if not, I get it. <laughs>